Every day is Father's Day, but I, I just want to share with you something from uh, Psalm 8, uh, because I want to just help us out here. I think that one of the things that becomes difficult for us at times is to know how to begin a walk with God, how to begin having fellowship, how to commune, how, how do we worship, John encourage us to worship today. How do we start a life of worship? How do we start a life of prayer? Let me just tell you what I've learned in the last few years is that as I began asking the Lord to help me to be awake and stay awake, and I started to uh, search my heart and ask the Lord to show me the areas that he needed to change in me, I, I, I'm going to tell you he found a lot of things that needed to be updated or upgraded and some things that just needed to go. Um, but when he was doing that, um, I was talking to him, and as I was talking to him, I would pray in the Spirit, I'd pray with my understanding, I would use all the tools that I knew how to, and some of you would say, I don't even have time for that kind of thing, and I, I get that, I really do. I mean, I'm just going to tell you that I've pursued the Lord long before he brought me into a, a, a lifelong ministry, and uh, as I pursued him, I found that you... It's easy to run out of material. And it, it, you know, like you can only pray. Now, I'm not suggesting you should stop. But you can only pray for certain things so long until it gets, it gets discouraging. Anyone ever pray for something for so long and be discouraged? Yeah? I, I have, you know, yeah. My mom was just sharing before the service about witnessing at a funeral the prayers of a righteous mother for her kids and her family that took a lifetime to come to pass. And she never lived long enough to see them answered. But my mom got to see them answered. So they, those prayers do work, you know. In 1906, America's very own Mark Twain, remember him? Huckleberry Finn, right? Um, Tom Sawyer, grandson named after Tom Sawyer, I think. I have a granddaughter named after a guitar, I think. But anyway, I digress. In 1906, Mark Twain wrote a book, and he said, What is man? Now, he wasn't struggling with his faith in God, although he was not a devout Christian. He was struggling with his faith in man. So he borrowed the phrase from King David, who was not yet king. He was General David of the armies of Israel. He borrowed the phrase from Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, um, at a certain point... David prays, and, and he is saying, considering all that God has done, all that he has made, the majesty that belongs to him, looking at the creation and the stars and the sun and the sand and the seas and the waves and the animals, looking at all these things, what is man? That you take thought of him. Let me, um, let me just break that down for one second and say that what David was asking 
was in considering your incomparably great beauty and glory and power and looking at man he was a soldier he was destroying armies because people do evil things and he served in a righteous zeal for God and took an assignment that is difficult which was liberating a land and establishing a kingdom for the worship of Almighty God. And when he looked at the good and the bad of men, like Mark Twain had done, what Mark Twain did is he took an old man who was aged and cynical, and he took a young man who was hopeful and optimistic, and he had the two of them argue what is man. Is he a sinner? Is he a saint? David is actually much more humble than that. He's saying, you know, the truth is, I look at myself. I just look at myself, and I wonder why you would ever take thought of me. Before we dive into this, and by the way, there, I printed some scriptures. You know, we can use paper again now. I printed some scriptures on paper. You can touch them. You will not get a disease. Not sure you'll get any more righteous, but you can touch it. And no harm will be done. So if you need one of those, just raise your hand and Troy will come around and hand you one of those. But I so appreciated uh, John's, you know, John Carnacchio at the beginning of the service, he just opened his heart, he bore his heart, and, and he talked about the holiness of God. And I just want to share this with you before we even jump into Psalm 8. We have spent so long as, as a church since the Reformation talking about the wrath of God and the depravity of man that I feel like that we've overcorrected and lost something. Yes, God is holy, he's righteous and just. That is wonderful. And his eyes are too pure to behold evil, which means that when you and I see evil and we're fascinated by it and continue to look that God can't. So I get it. But I read a psalm the other week. And in that psalm, God says that he is filled with indignation and wrath every day. But it's not about his holiness. It's out of his love for people and his righteousness and his love for people and the fact that they, some of them, love him, that he will have a holy vengeance and jealousy for the people of God. And it's because of that that he pours out his wrath. For my Romans class, Students, let me just say that 
in Romans 1 when it says that the wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He is naming the ungodly as being those who are wicked and hate God. And then there are those who, uh, many of us, have done things that are just degrading to ourself and to God's glory and his image. So all the unrighteousness and all the unrighteous at the wrath of God wasn't poured out on them, it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And that's the heart of the gospel is that God could have took his vengeance out on you and me, but instead he took it out on his son. And there was a proper payment for the penalty. It required the blood of a man. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to share with you something today that I hope is encouraging to your heart so that you can take it and do what I've done. So here's the thing. I told you I ran out of material after praying and praying my list and praying my heart out and confessing every sin I knew. I confessed my sins. I confessed all your sins. I confessed your sins against me. I complained about my sins against you. I did all that, and I think that on the other side of that, my heart was lighter and I was ready to begin a new relationship with God. And it's at that point I ran out of material. And the Spirit of God led me to the Psalms. And I started praying them. And I thought, no, wait, aren't these songs? Yes, they're songs. Yes, they're prayers. I was able to be at the Wailing Wall in Israel. And I guarantee you that the Jews there are not praying like a bunch of free-ranging minds. They are praying the scriptures. And as they pray at that wall, they're making their petition to God. And they're taking General David, King David's material, and they're making it their own. And as they pray that, they're praying the word of God back to God. Now, here's what I found out, is that when I began to pray that way, which didn't make sense because it was David's prayers, not mine, and then I realized it's still the word of God, and I, as I started to pray it, I noticed that I would pray a psalm and say, yeah, nothing there. Go to the next one. And I would pray that one, and then, eh, not, nothing there either, you know. But all of a sudden, I'd hit a psalm, and it would move me so deeply, and I would be, I would sometimes be laughing, sometimes I'd be crying. I was going through a whole range of emotion. I think God was healing something inside of me, but I couldn't believe how much I would be moved by these psalms. So I'm going to just encourage you. In fact, let me just say to the men especially, because the women seem to be so ahead of us on this stuff, you know. And let me just say to the men, if you say, like, I don't even know how to be a man of God. I don't know how to lead this house. Start here. Don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can just take your Bible and you split it right down the middle if you've got the whole Bible. And right in the middle, you're going to find the Psalms. And by the way, there, one psalm is a psalm, and two psalms are, a psalm, are psalms, right? So 
I'm just going to tell you, don't try to figure all that out. Just find Psalms, and it's numbered, 1 through 150. Just start at number 1. Don't try to figure it out. Don't play uh, Scripture roulette. Just go, go to the beginning, Psalm 1. Pray that one. See if it fits. If it doesn't, go to Psalm 2. Pray that one. See if it fits. <clears throat> your wife or your girlfriend comes to you and says, what are you doing? You're saying, I'm becoming a man of God here. Leave me alone. And, and, and she's going to smile. She's like, in her mind, she's saying, I'm way ahead of you, way ahead of you. But listen, I'm telling you guys, you can cheat. Like, this is David's devotional life. You can jump into the heart of a general and have that general's heart looking at the world and start there. And by the way, I'm going to give you a little footnote is you'll find out that David was a warrior. And every man, masculine being, male, was created to be a warrior. Some of us are desk warriors. Some of us are truck warriors, driving, fighting traffic. Some of us are carpenter, carpentry, skills with our hands, warriors. Some are paper jockey warriors. Men come in all shapes and all sizes, but every man with a masculine spirit was designed to be a warrior. And you'll find in the Psalms the prayer of a warrior how he views life, how he views the world. So let's just open the door a little bit. This is real simple, just eight or nine little verses to it. Psalm 9. As you're turning there, or as you get your cheat sheet, piece of paper, right? Don't be afraid to touch it. <laughs> it's a sword. Um, after four years of praying the Psalms, a week ago, it's been a week ago, I was, I, I came in, I come here, I come here to prayer, pray. I don't know why it is the Lord, like my secret place is this whole space, okay? So you, you guys are all in my prayer closet right now. I thank you very much for coming. I thank you very much for leaving. Because... I do just fine all by myself here. It's when, when we bring people into the mix, that's when it gets confusing, you know? So anyway, I came. A lot of times this podium is still sitting here on Monday morning. I, my Bible's still sitting here. If it's not, I'll walk over there, I'll walk over here. Um, and I'll open up to the next psalm, and I'll start to pray, and I was just getting ready. And by the way, if you ever visited when I'm praying the psalms, you would think that there is 5,000 people in the room, and, and God was deaf, because I have to make sure that these ears hear it clearly, you know. So I shout it a lot of times. Sometimes I read it. A lot of times I shout it, because I'm not sure about God. Sometimes he needs a little help. So I... I I just get into the psalm. 
And I was just getting ready. I opened my mouth and I was getting ready to pray my psalm. And the Lord said, I want you to start all over at the beginning again. I'm like, right. I'm like, it's 78. Like, you know, we're getting close to the end here. And uh, so I want you to start all over. Now, I don't know how many times I've prayed through them, you know. Just being honest with you, I hope that's okay. Um, because you'll see that it's not how... It's not how great I am, it's how great God is. I don't know if you've read that yet in the Bible. You'll find out that the Bible isn't about the greatness of man. It's about the greatness of God. I was just getting ready. I was into, I, I've been in a groove. I, I know this thing. I'm going to pray the general's prayer. I'm going to pray this, this and, 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 you know, it's, it, God's going to do something. And I was just getting ready. I took a breath of air. And I, and I started to read. And so I was starting to say the first syllable. The Holy Spirit comes on me and says, stop. I want you to start over. I want you to go to the beginning of the Psalms. And this time, I want you to, I want you to understand them. Okay, so, so now I'm going to pray them, but not until I understand them. So now that takes days and weeks sometimes, right? So I started all over, and I hit Psalm 8. And when I hit Psalm 8, I, and I started to work through it, I, I just knew I had to share this with you today. And what I'm using, let's just use it for a springboard because there's something more for you, much more. This is not, this is not about me. It's not about my relationship with God. This is about how you can jump in to the heart of a general and begin to understand the way he thinks and the way he sees the world. And then you can understand from there Jesus and the way he understood the world because Jesus praised the Psalms all through his life and all through his ministry. Even when he's hanging on the cross, he praised the Psalms. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is a true man, and he is more than a general in the armies of God. And he came and defeated what needed to be defeated. But let me tell you something. Even in Jesus' life, you'll see there are no shortcuts. Secrets, but no shortcuts. You have to do the hard stuff. You can leave now if you want. I mean, you know, okay. It's still the grace of God is to help us do the hard stuff, right? So I'm going to read Psalm 8, and then we're just going to dive into it for a moment. By the way, at the end of the service, we're going to all read it together. Well, we're going to all pray it together. And if the Holy Spirit did what he promised me he would do for you, you'd be glad you stayed. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength. It's so amazing because had a baby in my house all week. So nice. 
And you look at her, I'll say it for the sake of Judy, kissable little lips, and you wonder how God could take that little mouth and establish strength. From the mouth of, uh, mouth of infants and the nursing babies, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries, what? To make the enemy and the revengeful cease. There's some reason God made babies so weak and so of all the animal kingdom, we are the ones that take the longest and the most care to develop, to grow, to nurture into adulthood. Almost everything else grows up and leaves long before we do. Our kids need us. They're so dependent on us for everything. And that's supposed to be a key. Where does my dependence? Where is my dependence? What? Who do I depend upon for food, for life, for sustenance, for health, for strength? Who do I depend on? And yet that little mouth with all of its innocence was created to defeat God's enemies. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. Think of David as a shepherd in the backside of the desert. His dad doesn't even know he's out there probably with the sheep. He's looking up at the stars and dreaming. Under those stars, he would see a comet. He would see a meteorite. He would see things in the heavens that would just full moon. I don't know if you saw the one this week. Just absolutely like brilliant. Looks like the moon could burn a hole in the earth. I see all that. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Let me answer it very quickly because we'll come back to this. The answer to what is man, the answer is a reflection of God. The church has got to restore it's understanding of the value, not only of human life, but just humans. All shapes, all sizes, all races, all colors, both sexes. Yes, I said that. The value of human life from the perspective of God. Not what they mean to you, not what they mean to me but what they mean to God. What is man that you take thought of him or the son of man that you care for him? He's a reflection of God. That's what he is. And yet you have made him a little lower than God. The word is actually Elohim, which is the same one in Genesis 1-1 who created everything. The uniplural noun, the Godhead, Yes, you made man a little lower than God. And I know what you're thinking, but I have known people, I have seen such wickedness and such atrocity done in my lifetime, in my eyes. It's not their destiny. It's not their purpose. It's not what we're created for. 
By the way, I want to point out that means that we're above the angels. Angels are ministers to minister to mankind, created to serve God by worshiping him and by serving man. He made you, he made me to be above the angels. You made him a little lower than God. You crown him. You crown him. There's an authority that you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands, not to subjugate it, but to steward it. You have put all things under his feet. By the way, that's still referring to man. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds, the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the path of the sea. Which kind of amazes me because that means that David would have had to been up to Galilee or someplace in that area at some time to even know what the ocean looked like. And then he returns where he started, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man? Many of us last Sunday decided that we would declare the decree that General Joshua made as he was retiring. He said, if it seems right for you to serve the living God, then serve him. If it doesn't seem right, then you serve whoever you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And on Father's Day, we made this declaration and decree that we, by the grace of God, would serve the Lord. That's not, you know, that's not meant to be a parable. It's not meant to be a metaphor. It's meant to be a, 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 a line in the sand, a stake driven into the ground moment where General Joshua says, my house and myself are devoted to Yahweh. We will serve Jehovah all the days of our life. And you do what you will do. I think that there's a time and space for Americans to decide where they are with God and to make a stand like that. So you made that declaration, many of you, last week, and if you haven't, you should think about it. If you have made that declaration, I want to ask you the simple question. The simple question is, how's that going for you? It's harder than we think, isn't it? The reason it's harder than you think is because that mankind has a very real enemy. He's actually God's enemy. He's very upset with God because he wanted to be like God. And then God went and did the unthinkable. He created a man. And that man was made like God or in the image of God. So Satan became extremely angry with God and very jealous of you. If you do not understand 
that there's an adversary in this world that hates you and everything you stand for, hates your children and your grandchildren, hates your country, hates everything that is good and right, everything that is Judeo and Christian, everything that is related to the covenant-keeping God. If we don't understand that we have an enemy who hates that more than we can possibly understand, then we're already susceptible for deception and defeat. The good news is that God loves us way more than Satan hates, hates us. But if you make a declaration as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you make that stance, let me tell you something. There's a few enemies in the world, and it's far deeper than media and politics and pandemics. It's far deeper than cultural evolution, societal change. It's far deeper than that. It's just a very old, old argument between the serpent and God. How can you, once you have that fact, once you have that established, once you've come over to the light and understand that there's an enemy in this world, and when Jesus started walking the shores of Galilee and proclaiming the kingdom of God, his advancement and his warfare was not against mankind. It was against the demonic hordes and Satan himself that had found a place of hiding, not only in people, but in institutions, in religion, in despots and kings. And Jesus' battle was not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. I had a police officer tell me one time, he said, look, Pastor, if you bring a demon to me, he didn't say he didn't believe in them. He said, if you bring one to me, I can't put handcuffs on them. Can't lock them up. That's your job. But people under the influence of the demonic break laws. I lock them up. That's my job. Hallelujah. Good theology from a policeman. So how do we defeat? How do we win a victory? The odd thing is that it's not a frontal assault like you would think. You know, immediately when we think of warfare, we start thinking about the odds and preparation and logistics and are we equipped or not equipped. I'd love to go into some things I've been studying and reading lately, but a few years ago, the Lord had me going through this thing of like, studying the, the Wright brothers in the dawn of flight. And out of all of that, what, what I learned was that 
Not only did they have a praying dad who was a bishop and had an extensive library and he was praying for his boys, but something inside of his heart from his faith in God became a conviction in the heart of those boys to say to the world, you've got God wrong. Because common wisdom was, if God intended for man to fly, then he would have given them wings. That was what the church was saying. That's what all of Christianity was saying. That's what the Jews were saying. Everyone was saying that. But there was a conviction came into the heart of these boys that for the progress of mankind, there would be the need to have heavier-than-air flight. You didn't need to have wings of your own. You needed to design them. So Judy and I went to Kitty Hawk, and I, I just, like everybody is just walking around, watching stuff and looking at stuff, and I'm having spiritual experiences. That same thing has happened to me now, but it's with generals. It started with a fascination with World War II and everything, all things World War II and related to that. But then when I started reading the stories and started hearing the messages, I was drawn to the generals, not because I aspire to be one, but I aspire to know what makes a general different than a private. Trust me, it's more than training. So General David learned, here's how you defeat Goliath. Well, it was when he was a boy in the backside of the desert watching the sheep. And he learned that his strength came from the Lord. And so there was a lion that wanted to attack the lambs. And David did what all of you would do. He ran and grabbed the lion and tore its mouth and part at the hinge. No, we'd run the other direction. Can I tell you, a, a shotgun would not stop a lion. Deer rifle, yes, maybe, but well-placed. David ran to the lion, grabbed his beard, I think we usually call that the main, and ripped him apart. So it happened again with a bear. So the animals did the very opposite of what they did with Dr. Doolittle. They spread the news, don't go near David's sheep. If you do, you might end up on someone's wall. When David came to the armies of Israel that were stuck in a, between a, a, a place on the ledge in a valley and a shouting giant who was defying the God of Israel. David became convicted in his heart that those men were dishonoring God because of their lack of faith. And someone needed to do something because this was actually like the beard of a lion, the beard of Goliath. What matter does it make? It's God who's the strength 
of my sword. It's God who's the strength of my shield. It's God who is the strength. Have you seen the stars? Have you seen the seas? Have you seen everything he's created? Have you seen the majesty of what telescopes can show us? Have you seen the majesty of what microscopes can show us? The kingdom above, the kingdom below. Have you ever seen the glory and the majesty of all of that? It causes him to raise his hands and say, Yahweh, my Adonai, your name is majesty. Your name is majestic. It's above all the earth. It's above all the heavens. The only thing I can't figure out is, what is man that you hear us, that you care for us, that you want relationship with us. Let me tell you something. Our God is a consuming fire, and that fire is jealousy, and the jealousy of God is for those who love him, those who love him, those who commune with him, those who pray their prayers, those who worship, those who, when their backs are against the wall, they do the the absolute opposite of logic. You know, like you never turn your back on your enemy. But that's what David did. He said, listen, I'm telling you that my God is the God who prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. That's ridiculous. Why sit down and eat here right now? When I'm surrounded by enemies, it depends on who you're eating with. like John the Beloved who learned to lean back on Jesus and he could hear the heartbeat of God. Let me tell you something. Jesus promised that if you go into your closet and you shut the door, God will be there and he'll meet you. Problem is, we're not there. So when we're not there, it's not God that suffers. It's us. And so like, here's the deal. If you're gonna be on your own and trust in your own abilities and your own resources and your own humanity, you're, you're going to just come to this conclusion that, like, I really don't understand why man thinks man is so hot. You know, we're just not really all that hot. We're not as, we're not as powerful. We sit in a country with the world's, it's arguably this, the world's most powerful army and yet we're absolutely incompetent and unable to defeat a little tiny virus. We can debate that some other day, but you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is all around the world, all our money, all of our resources, all of our education went out the window and we caught a cold. And many people died. Listen, it doesn't matter how small your enemy is. It doesn't matter how large your enemy is. If you're on your own, you're on your own. But if you covenant with the covenant-making and keeping God, if you devote yourself to him and you enter into his closet and commune with him there, 
you'll find not only will he meet you, not only will he thrill your soul, but like when you work, he works. And even when you rest, he keeps working. When you work, he works. And even when you rest, he keeps on working. When you work, he works. And even when you rest, God keeps on working. If you learn to do Sabbath with him, if you learn to rest in him, you'll find out that when you swing your sword, you'll still swing your sword. But then you, instead of one falling down, a thousand falls down. When you swing your sword, instead of two men being defeated, a thousand men are defeated, or 10,000 men. One will put a thousand, two will put 10,000 to flight. That's how it was with Israel, and all they knew was Jehovah God who is in their midst by way of a tabernacle. So here's the deal. God created Adam to be like him. God in the cool of the day. And I know that what we tend to do when we read that scripture in Genesis and we do in the cool of the day, God would come and commune or walk with Adam. But it's actually the word ruach. And those who know a little bit of Hebrew knew that's the spirit, the breath, the life, the very spirit, capital S of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would stir Adam's heart and he would position himself to meet with God. And when he positioned himself to meet with God, God would come. And Adam would have euphoric experiences and he and God would commune together. And God told Moses to build the altar and the uh, table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat to build all of it just like the representation that he saw in heaven. What, he, what Moses saw in heaven, Adam likely saw in heaven too because heaven would come down when God came. And the two of them, and I want you to know that in, in Moses' experience, God established a principle, and that is you sprinkle blood on the seat, and that God would rule from that seat. That would be his throne. But the interesting thing is you sprinkled blood on it. Blood represents humans. I believe that Adam, I believe that it could be proved that Adam and God communed together, and when they did, Adam actually sat on the mercy seat. He was sitting there on the mercy seat. And as he sat there on the mercy seat and God and he would consult together, then God would say, okay, now we've got a garden, but we've got to go beyond the garden. We're going to actually, we're going to actually move what we experience here in the garden out into all of the world, all of the world. In fact, all of the universe is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And Adam was like the moon, you know, to the sun, God, I mean, the sun shines on dirt and reflects glory back to the sun. And, and like God's reflected glory on Adam. I know that because we spend so much talking time talking,
talking about his fall and his disobedience and, his, and the deception. I, I know because we talk about that so much that we don't think very highly of Adam, but Adam was the most manly man, the most amazing, the most godlike, if we want to say, the most Christ-like man that ever walked the planet. And he and God communed together. And God shared his heart, and Adam shared his heart. And one day, as God, God and man are sharing their hearts together, God looks at him and says, there's a woman inside of you, and I'm going to give you a helper that is meant to be at your side, and she and you will rule together on this earth, and you'll reflect my glory on the earth. And what did this serpent do? In all his rage and jealousy, he came and attacked. Well, you know the rest of that story. But all through Old Testament history, mankind, specifically the Jews and the nation of Israel, had relationship with Jehovah by the blood of the Lamb that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And Paul teaches us in Romans that when Jesus Christ died, that the Spirit of God presented the blood of Jesus not in the temple across town, but in the temple that is in heaven, on the throne of the mercy seat, of the representation of which all this stuff just shadowed or foreshadowed. The blood was sprinkled there, and I hope that you catch this, that the, the human blood or the blood of Jesus' humanness presented in the eternal heavens cleansed not only the heavens and the earth, but all mankind. Now, not all of mankind is saved because they haven't called on the Lord and we haven't shared the gospel with some, but the truth of the matter is that that blood cleansed all of the universe. And that blood is still wet because it is still in the veins of Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6, and he raised us up together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're seated in Christ, with Christ. Your enemy has deceived you. You hold all the cards. You can defeat him. The nursing child was raised, is given, so that their little innocent lips could lift up praise and glorify God, and God would be magnified in spite of Satan, in spite of his hordes, in spite of the fall, in spite of all the wickedness that is in the world today. There is a people cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who have the right to commune with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. What is man? Man is absolutely nothing apart from Jesus Christ. But together with him, we are not 
we're not sinners, and we're not fully saints, but we've been given a faith to exercise so that when the giants come, we make our stand and we say, listen, God met me here and he met me here. I remember when he healed my daughter. I remember when he saved my son. I remember when he this. I remember when he that. I remember that. And so this next one in front of me, that is just like all the others. My God is sufficient to meet this need that is in front of me. What is man? He's nothing really. But the grace of God created us to be a reflection of God. We're just like the moon, just a bunch of dust with an eternal spirit that has been joined to Jesus Christ and now we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So as much as Jesus is a son of God, we are a son or daughter of God adopted into his family. And so when Jesus says, in the name, in my name, you have never asked anything in my name, but when you ask in my name, so now we just say, okay, listen, I know, I know who I'm not, I know who I was, I know who I'm becoming, but the main thing is I know who Jesus is. And so, like, I'm not coming in my name. I'm coming in his name. I stand with him. I imagine that David was possibly looking out and he saw Goliath as big and as bad as everybody else saw him. It wasn't until David picked up the stone and when he picked up the stones and began to uh, look at that giant again, the thing that was in front of him, I think the reason he ran to that giant is because he suddenly, God opened the heavens and he allowed David to see Jesus Christ standing above Goliath and David is running to Jesus. He's not running to Goliath. He's running to Jesus and Jesus is destroying that giant. Would you please stand with me? There's so much more. I just had to pull the plug right here and just say, I've probably just opened enough of uh, Pandora's box to create a mess. But... We can talk later. We can talk more. In fact, I'm going to encourage you all to visit with us uh, again next week. Um, and then on July 7th, you can meet Chris, my friend Chris, and myself. And the rest of us can just go to the whistle stop and we can fellowship together. Well, I don't know about you, but like I enjoy this. I really do. It's so good to be together. But we just need to talk together and share life together, don't we? Because I know some of you are saying, look, I want to believe that everything you just said is true. But I'm, my experience is just so, so, so big that I'm not sure that you have an answer for me. I have an answer for you. It's found in Psalm 8. And I'm just going to ask you to take courage. And I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud right now, all of us here. Those watching online, those who are here in the sanctuary today. Let's read Psalm 8. 
O Lord, together, out loud. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen. Okay, so like if that didn't fully move you, I confess there's other Psalms that can do it for you specifically, but here's the thing. We're in a place right now where we are like, we're, we're the, the spirit of faith, the Holy Spirit is here in such power right now that you've got all, we've got all this strength and we can say, I can believe that, I can declare that, I can even go for that right now I'm, and I'm encouraged by that, but, but, I'm, but the Monday morning is coming and it's when you're alone. If you don't let yourself stay alone, if you go into that closet and shut the door and expect that God is there, and then you pull this out and you read it with all the humility and honor that you can think of. And you just, you know, you're thinking of the problems. You're thinking of the challenges. You're thinking of what's ahead of you. You think of the things that need to be conquered yet in your life. And you're saying, I feel like just a measly little private that's not, you know, like, and I'm even on thin ice as a private. But God, you're my general. So, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor, your majesty, above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. I don't even feel like an infant. I feel like less than an infant right now. I feel like I'm on life support. I feel like I need the... Holy Spirit, you know, the, the breast, the, the milk, the sustenance of God. I feel like I'm going under for the third and final time. I feel like everything is coming over me and against me, and I, I, I feel weaker than a baby. It's right there in that weakness when you confess and say, I don't even know what man is that you take thought of us. But if you've ever heard a man, if you've ever heard a voice of a man, hear my heart, hear my cry. Oh God, I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. I, there's a red sea in front of me. I see no way of walking across it. I see no way of walking through it. I see no way around it. Oh God, 
May the God who split the, the Red Sea, who parted the Jordan rivers, part them for me. And I promise you, God is my witness. He'll meet you there. If you continue in your pride and your arrogance and self-sufficiency, you walk right past, you'll say, You'll say, like when Satan reads this, he says, what is man? He's indignant, but defeated. He's indignant. He's furious. Oh, so filled with rage and anger and hatred. It's being spilled out all over the airwaves right now. Satan hates man every kind and yet God has ordained strength to the human spirit through the spirit of Christ by myself I am no match but with him Satan has no chance so here's what I did I, a couple years ago I said, Mr. Satan, I, I'm firing you. You did your best. I'm really pretty tired and sick of seeing you around and what you do to people. And uh, I'm actually tired of you being my enemy. By the way, in the Bible, it tells me what God will do to my enemies. So here's the deal. As of this day, you're fired. You are no longer my enemy. From this day forward, by the grace of God, I am your enemy. I am your nightmare. I am your worst dream. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am make you cower. I make you tremble and fear. Because I'm standing with Jesus who has a long history of beating you. So, from this day forward, by the grace of God, I will be your enemy. Father, I pray today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would take this psalm, this prayer, this worship, this declaration, sow it deep in our hearts.